Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Profit Podcast. We're coming to you from bright, sunny, cold West Fargo, North Dakota, um, from the office of Harvest Profit. Nick Horb here, and today we have Ben Longlet, who works at Harvest Profit in a customer success role. Uh, if you're a customer of Harvest Profit, you've likely communicated with Ben. Uh, if you're not, uh, email him support at harvestprofit.com. So, hey Ben, how are you doing today? Good, doing fantastic. First question, have you sold your planter yet? I have not. It's still available. Maybe. You know, we've been averaging about 100,000 downloads per episode minus the 1,000 part. So maybe we'll, uh, you, you have a taker, maybe. There we go. Pencil? Yeah, Ch- check out the Twitter account. We'll have, some, we'll have some, uh, some equipment for sale. All right. What? I'm always curious to learn a little bit more about the nuances. Why are you selling your planter? What are you moving towards? So we're looking at changing row spacing uh, and actually moving to a wider row spacing for corn, switching from 22-inch spacing to 30-inch spacing. And uh, I mean, we've talked about it before, but trying to move towards more minimum till and hopefully strip till eventually. So quite a bit easier to accomplish on a wider row spacing. Do you have a new planter yet? No, I was, uh, we were, we were looking at buying one and uh, things fell through. So I'm not we're, we're kind of just slowly moving towards it so when the right one shows up we'll make the move sure. and, and uh, go from there will you do like a 16 row 30 or yeah 24? 16 row 30 probably yeah what percent of your farm this year was no-till so this year um or minimum till. yeah so minimum till wise what we the program we run is we try to um on our when we're planting soybeans we try to leave our corn stalks over winter without doing anything to them and then we'll either do no till into them or do complete minimum till into sure. the, on the soybean side. Corn ground is going to get, uh, obviously, in the fall after soybeans, we try to chisel plow, uh, blow down fertilizer, and then uh, come in with one pass in the springtime. So really the tillage side happens for the corn crop, and we try to minimize tillage on the soybean side. So you sh- you're, you're getting about a year break in between. Sure. So you tell people where you farm? Yeah, so we're, I grew up in Arthur, North Dakota. Um, just farm, just it's a half hour northwest of our office here, and uh, so we farm in the Red River Valley, kind of on the maybe a, you could say on the western edge of, of where it is, but still a pretty productive area in Cass County. So, does most of your ground have a little roll to it, or do you have any tabletop flat Red River gra- Red River Valley ground? Yeah, a lot of ours is is really flat. Uh, you know, I'd say. You know, like there's a foot of elevation drop across a, a, a section in our area. Sure. At the most. And uh, we do have some rolly ground and some further west ground since we're on the edge of our uh, kind of the valley. But for the most part, it's it's really, really flat ground. Yep. For those that don't know, Red, the Red River Valley, uh, eastern North Dakota, western Minnesota was a lake bottom. You know, I don't know how long ago that was, thousands of years, Lake Agassiz. What, if you go west of your farm... Do you get, is there like a, a beach front where it's sandy, salty, like very low productivity? Um, it doesn't seem like it's very, that pronounced on the west side of the Red River Valley. How about where you, know, where you guys are from? Is there still like that low productivity beach? And then if you get a little further west, it gets better? Or how does the, the yes. ground lay? So just west of our farm, actually, just a half mile is the first kind of rolling hill that you kind of get into. And it's probably only like a 20-foot elevation difference, but... Um, it, it's almost like the old beach edge, maybe, maybe of where the lake used to be. But as soon as you get over that hump, it's it's flat again, and uh, this, the ground gets a little bit lighter. 
Sure. A lot of guys, I mean, if you're from the area or if you know the area, the closer you are to the Red River, the heavier, uh, more gumbo-like the ground is. Yep. So on our, our western part of the farm, which is probably, you know, 10 miles west of the home farm after you get over that hump is, uh, yeah, it's definitely sandier ground. Maybe productivity goes down, but at the same time, it's nice to have a good mix of some lighter ground in the in the farm versus farming yeah. all heavy ground because uh, on wet years, it's it's definitely a battle to to get across a lot of uh, heavy Red River Valley ground. Yeah, nice to have some diversification in the rotation. Yep. And so who is all involved in the farm today? Yeah, so myself and my brother and my dad are the three main people involved in the farm uh, my dad's been doing it full time, and then me and my brother are involved, kind of at a, a partial time as as much as we can. And then I still do have my my grandpa's around. He he doesn't have a, a stake in the farm yet, but he likes to help out and sure when, he, when he's around. And so your technology has been, you know, very in ingrained in your guys's farm. You want to tell a quick backstory on your dad, and he's been he's spent a lot of time with technology on the farm is that a correct assessment yes so my dad scott longlet uh back i don't know the exact year but in the early 2000s they started on uh working with record electronic innovations with auto steer probably i mean they were one of the first companies to really be involved in auto steer and, and working on that so i remember the very first time uh working in our old farm shop putting auto steer on a tractor that was going to be a beat lifter tractor and uh just it's amazing to see where that technology has come from you know that's probably been 15 years now from from the start of it to where it came to now but uh it was it's neat to see the progression of some of that stuff that was designed uh some of the products that were were designed from Reichert based off the feedback and the usage on our farm so it was a it's an interesting road uh we're still dealers for them we're still involved in it but not on the same level that we used to be sure it's nice having been around because i come from a background of numbers and spreadsheets and you know i've done some i've done a little bit of work i've done some work on the farm but it just hasn't been the more intensive uh you know planting spraying um, you know using the more modern equipment um, i was just kind of a on the for my uncle and my mom's side of the farm i would drive grain truck and a little bit and pick some rocks and you know generally would just go out there so he would let me go hunting and and kind of be a terror on the back roads uh, so it's nice having been around obviously has a lot of you know you have a lot of experience with more of the modern precision ag you uh, want to just give a quick background on what you were doing before harvest profit yeah so my background you know my my college education is in precision ag is what i went to school for up in devil's lake and then i i spent my first first year out of college just kind of on the farm and uh, doing some some things there but i knew i wanted to get into a full-time position so before harvest profit i was working with um with the field view product you, you know utilizing that working with seed growers and uh seed customers of peterson farm seed a local independent uh, seed business out of north dakota so working with their customers trying to implement the technology on their farm and uh and kind of working on on using the tool to analyze how products are performing and uh we we're trying to trying to kind of invest that technology with the customers sure if we're recording this right at the beginning of 2020 uh, coming off of you know a one in 10 year type of terrible harvest in our part of the world with a lot of crops still left in the field corn um, 
thinking about precision ag and the technology that you use with how big of a battle we had this fall is your are your yield maps recoverable so like this could you can you massage the data coming you know with your yield maps or is it almost a lost cause i think this year is going to be really tough to look at yield data um and we can explain some of the the problems with yield data this year that we saw in north dakota would be like um when, when you're when you're dealing with muddy conditions uh frozen grain you're just not getting accurate you know you're not getting accurate calibrations on the moisture side uh, so you're seeing every day when you start out there might be a two point swing on the moisture which if you're looking at the dry yield bushels you're seeing differences in in the weight because of the shrink uh, the other thing we see in soybeans a lot if you're in muddy conditions and you're getting mud through the combine those actual sensors are getting they're getting mud built on them and it's, it's causing a difference in the weight calculation. So what we saw throughout the year is, um, you know, no, no matter how much we calibrated our yield monitor, we were still off by, on corn, it was probably about 6 to 8%. And uh, it seemed like overall we were getting close to the right, um, after calibration, you could look at a field total and it would be close. But when you're going through the field, the ups and downs are just, they weren't, they weren't accurate. You could tell it just um, definitely is something that probably you can't even clean up to use sure have you used any sort of satellite imagery to do you think a person in a year like this could you know obviously if you're doing in-field split tests of lots of different practices that's probably not going to work but you know using satellite imagery to reverse engineer yield map is that something you think could be done you know i you know obviously your yield is going to be correlated with somewhat of the trends of the vegetative stuff have you in, in your in your work at you know when you were with the field view product or at the precision ag school in devil's lake is there did you, anybody work with any sort of methodology along that line yeah so field view actually they started working on it i'm not sure if it's still in the program or not but you would go and type in you could select an image to use and then put in your total yield and then it would it would based off the differences in the image, it would assign yields to those different zones. Sure. And uh, I would say that's, you know, it's going to be probably, I don't know how accurate it's going to be. Gonna, it's probably the the trends close. are going to be there. But. Yep. But uh, I think there's always times where, you know, things can, you know, within a, probably more on the, the green side of your map, the good areas are probably going to be accurate, but it's probably more that middle ground of, of uh, you know, there's two different zones that are yellow, but is it because one zone was the soil difference and one zone was a fertility difference? So some of that diagnosis might be a little bit harder, but overall I think satellite imagery is a, a good tool. It's accurate and uh, you definitely get a lot more layers to look at throughout the year. In a year like this, just out of curiosity, if you had, if you had some, if a farmer you know, or yourselves had a split, some split tests out in a field that you were really curious on, maybe like some field long rows of different practices and you knew the yield monitor just wasn't you know wasn't accurate due to the weather we had this year you know is that where you'd pull in something like your your grain cart with LibreCart on it and do and measure yield that way or or what how can a person this is just me trying to understand a little bit better about the real world how could you still validate those tests and not just have that year you know come and go and, and be a waste yeah, so definitely using the the grain cart scale or some sort of scale out in the field and just taking those those tests and weighing them out separately is a good, you know, it's a great way to gauge what worked, what didn't work. 
Um, but at the end of the year, uh, end of the day, I think this year just it, it would be hard to base any major decisions on your farm based off of any kind of outcome of any kind of trial or test sure. or variety difference this year. It's hard to it's hard to say that we're going to run into these conditions again. Yeah, uh, and no one wants to see that, but yeah, it would be. I definitely don't want to see it. Yeah, it'd be hard to base. It'd be hard to take results from this year, extrapolate them out going forward, just given how obviously this ha- this has happened before. But uh, if this was gonna, if this was our average year, you know, probably wouldn't be doing much farming. What on your farm? So just one thing I like to to know about people like different areas. As you plan ahead to next year, what type of yields do you have penciled in? You know, people talk about APH or average yield, and I like to think about like, what is your expectation for, you know, going forward in, you know, what do you plan for agronomically on, you know, farm average type yields? Yeah, so we do a lot of our budgeting based off our, our APH numbers, but when it comes to yield goals for fertility planning and stuff, we're probably, you know, we're, I don't know what percentage to say we're above it, but it's definitely above the APH number because we know that on, I'd say even an average year in North Dakota, we can definitely outproduce our APH. Um, but when it comes down to that budget planning, we really like to, we like to err on the lowest side because I want to be able to, I want to be able to turn a dollar or be profitable at an APH level for sure, especially when it comes to soybeans. I feel like they're so uh, unpredictable. Yeah, you know? and, and if you drew a circle around your farm, just a conservative, would you say? You know, 150 bushel corn and 38 bushel beans. Yeah, pro- corn's probably APH wise 150, and then I'd say probably beans are maybe even 35. I mean, yeah. Just a little bit on the lower side. Uh, it's just we can get so hurt. Uh, like this year, the beans were just the the weather really hurt the soybeans probably a lot worse than sure. than uh, than what anyone would have liked to see. But is there a lot of chlorosis in your part of the world as far as beans? Just if it's any sort of any sort of cold weather that just they get held back quick. yeah we have some pretty heavy idc ground in spots but this year we didn't that wasn't really the i don't know we didn't really see idc as the biggest problem this year but it was just we were so you know june planted beans and just late wet cold weather not getting a lot of sunlight and yep when they needed it so what a challenging year so if you say mid-30s beans 150 bushel corn um, what would you and you guys don't raise much wheat at all, correct? Yeah, no wheat. We haven't done that for. I suppose it's been about five years since the last time we put a quarter in. But since it's been in our rotation heavily, it's probably been ten or more years. And so, uh, I would guess that an average wheat yield would probably be sixty bushels. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Probably is. Pretty you know, there's good. been a, there's been a lot of debates on. You know, why are those? You know. Even Lanny, a guy who is in our office here, he was saying to me the other day, like, you know, are we really the Corn Belt in North Dakota? Well, we can't base it off of this year, right? And so sure. you take, you know, 60 bushel wheat times $5 a bushel, that's $300. You take 150 bushel corn times 350, and that's 525. And so you're, and then you're, you're looking at maybe a $70, $80 more in expenses on your you know, $70 more seed and then $30 more overhead. And so you're looking at, uh, it's pretty easy to start penciling out 60 bushel spring wheat versus 150 plus bushel corn on the, the difference in in revenue and, and profit. And then on top of it, 
you know, the, the lack of discounts compared right. to wheat in an average year. What about your farm? Um, you know, you said you guys are moving a little bit, you know, wider row spacing, uh, minimum tillage, you know, anything else specifically that you're, you know, excited about on, you know, just kind of farming practices or things that you're moving towards versus maybe what you guys did five, ten years ago? Yeah, we're definitely trying to further the precision egg side of our farm. It's I always find it funny how difficult it can become for to accomplish uh, some of those precision egg tasks, and uh, especially for someone that went to school for it. But just moving towards better, you know, kind of our strategies or what we're working at moving towards is just being more accurate with our placement or our fertilizer, whether that be through like a strip till program or just being able to to make sure that we're we're maximizing every dollar we're spending. So making sure it's in the right place, the right amount. And um, so that's kind of what I'm excited about working on in the future is just is being better at what we're doing and um, and utilizing some of these these minimum till programs to maybe reduce passes, uh, trying to look at soil health and improving improving that. And uh, the other thing we're working on the farm is definitely drainage to trying to improve that as much as possible. We're going to record another podcast. I'm just shooting from the hip here on your experience on your guys' farm with grain storage. That's an evolving thing and something that you and I talk about fairly frequently is just how how you guys have started to do things a little bit different on grain storage and specifically with some of the technology that you've chosen to use and how it's worked out for you. And so I think later in the week we'll record another episode on on that. I think that we could really add, a, add value to a lot of people and share some interesting observations that you've had if you're open to that. Yeah, no, for sure. We can definitely spend a lot of time talking about what we do and how it works and um, we've been, you know, it's been one of those things that, uh, that's grain storage and drying has been a big topic this year after coming off a really wet year. And, uh, so we yeah, definitely can share some insights and, and look at the costs and then the benefits and, and we can talk about the other 50% of my corn crop that's still yeah. in the field. Yeah. And then we'll talk, we got to jump on our, our weekly call here. Um, I was going to also, you know, at Harvest Profit, we're, we don't have, a set, you know, be here from eight to five or be in the office. It's fairly flexible. And so we'll start out the next episode by talking about what um, just what your day is like and what you do at Harvest Profit and how you, uh, you know, how you are, you know, a younger professional still farming and, ma- and managing both the professional side of, you know, working here, but also working on the farm. And so I think it'll be interesting to share your perspectives on how you you balance both of those things. I know you're doing a great job here and would like to to just share a little bit on how we do business and how that um, you know impacts your work. And so with that, this is part one of the, the Meet Ben podcast episode for Harvest Profit. We will talk to you again here in a couple of days. Thank you.